Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Welcome back to Coding the Future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, and I'm so honored you are here to join us again for another hour. This day, today, we have a really special guest and someone that I am really looking forward to because it is an area that I have just enough knowledge to be scary in, but not really an expert. So today on the show, we have joining us Seth Early, who is an expert in artificial intelligence, among among other things in technology, but we're going to talk a little bit about his journey and then talk a bit about how his work has really been crafted and he's found his niche in helping large businesses maximize, utilize, understand data, and use artificial intelligence to help them grow. He is the CEO of Early Information Science and is the author of the new book, The AI-Powered Enterprise, Harness the Power of Ontologies to Make Your Business Smarter, Faster, and More Profitable. Seth, I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, It's an honor to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, I I know you have this uh, wonderful career in technology, but what is something about you that maybe not everybody knows? Uh, Well, I'm an avid uh, workout fan. I've uh, been working out for about 40 years. um, And uh, so I continue along that path and try to stay in shape. Uh, In my uh, earlier days of workout, I was a martial artist, so I have a black belt in uh, Shotokan uh, Karate, and um, I also race um, uh, power catamarans, uh, something called a Thundercat. Actually, Davenport mentioned it in the forward to the book, so he said he risked his his safety I, uh, my Thundercat, and uh, we had a lot of fun. But um, but those are some of the things that I like to do for fun. That's pretty awesome. I have only been on a catamaran once, and that was for a sunset cruise some time ago. But I am is, so pretty amazing. This is something you would never you you I guarantee you never experienced. Tom had uh, been a sailor in. Uh, uh, aficionado of uh, power boats and sailboats his entire life. And when he finished, he said, I said, what did you think? He said, fun, but terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And that was a lifelong um, sailor. Sorry, my, uh, my uh, colleague, Simon, is uh, giving some color commentary in the back. You know, I think it adds to everything because, um, you know, we, I, I am, will tell you, you, you never know if sometimes my children will walk through the door while we're right, exactly. We are in the, the middle of our pandemic right now and my children are learning from home. So you, sometimes they just, even if I tell them not to, and that's real life. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey and your career and how you have navigated into owning your own business and really finding this niche in artificial intelligence. We'll, we'll take a little bit of time to explain what that is, but give us a little bit of backstory about how you've even gotten to this point. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting story. I mean, we've had uh, the business for 25 years, so that's uh, quite a long time. And we've had to reinvent it over the years. Um, <clears throat> we kind of started in the area of uh, uh, 
the early collaboration technologies and knowledge management technologies from Lotus and IBM. So some of you might remember Lotus Notes. We used to say Notes did poorly, what nothing else could do at all. And uh, it really was ushering in that era of collaboration and uh, sharing of, of knowledge and, and expertise. And so we did a lot of work in that space. Um, when IBM purchased Lotus, we actually did consulting for the office of the CIO uh, at IBM to help them with their worldwide deployments. And I've always been interested in kind of the, you know, the, the academic side of things or the research side of things. So we've always kind of um, differentiated ourselves by, by staying ahead of the curve, by, by being thought leaders, by being innovative, and really looking at what's next for us. Because beyond things like knowledge and content, you know, there was certainly semantic search. There was certainly early iterations of machine learning. Lotus, I worked with Lotus Discovery Server, which was IBM and Lotus's first foray into machine learning and AI back then. And that actually became something called OmniFine from IBM. And that actually, uh, that DNA went into Watson. So many of the technologies have been around for a very, very long time. And uh, there's some very fundamental challenges with implementing any of these things. And so our company has evolved to help organizations really manage the foundation, the infrastructure, the, uh, the core uh, taxonomies and metadata structures and data architecture. And we call them ontologies now, but, you know, that's kind of a newish, newish word. But uh, knowledge graphs, um, reference data of all sorts, master data. Because at the end of the day, these technologies will only run if they have good data. You can't throw bad data at them and expect them to perform magic. There's no magic here. And so, um, so the work that we've done over the years really ideally set us up for some of these emerging technologies. And my question, because I'm always asking questions, was, okay, how do these things learn? How do these things improve? How do you actually get them to do uh, different things and how do you get them to solve business problems? And the more I, I dug, and the more I researched, and the more I read, I realized that information architecture was a foundational piece of this. And I wrote an article several years ago called There's No AI Without IA. There's no artificial intelligence without information architecture because even when vendors say, oh, you don't need it, you don't need referencing, you don't need metadata, our system does it all, somebody made the decisions in the tool in order to allow the functionality because it's all about classification. Um, I deconstructed some of the um, algorithms in Watson and came up with a lot of traditional concepts that were being relabeled and remarketed as new things. And people like to say, I think Forrester said, cognitive computing was knowledge management's grand makeover. So a lot of these things have been around for a very long time. Search algorithms have always used machine learning. It's just part of how they work. And, you know, the, the, the pieces that you always need, you know, the understanding of the user, the use cases, the business problems, the, the clean infrastructure, the clean data, the correct data, uh, ownership, governance, decision-making, you know, metrics, ROI, all of those things are even more important today with these new technologies because there is a lot of noise and there is a lot of nonsense and there is a lot of hype 
in the marketplace. And the job today is to separate what's possible from what's practical. Oh, I like that. There's a couple of really good nuggets that you put in there. And I want to just go back just a bit to give a little bit of clarity. First of all, can you, in the simplest terms you can use, can you define what is machine learning? So machine learning is a mechanism by which a, and it's basically an, an, a, a, an algorithm that will take a guess at an answer and then compare that answer to either training data or an expected result and iterate through using the output to form an input. So it's learning by cycling through lots of iterations and getting closer and closer approximations to the answer. Now, that's a very simplistic way of, of explaining it, but at the end of the day, you know, machine learning is all about taking an output, using that output as an input, comparing it to what you expect or what you need, and then cycling again. And that's what machine learning is about. I, that, was, that was a really great definition because sometimes I stumble a lot trying to explain what that is to, to the younger people. I, I work with a lot of middle school kids, but I really like what you just said. It's taking that output, making it input, figuring out what the iteration is that you need, and then repeating that again. You know, because what we're essentially doing, and, and you said this a minute ago, is that the, you cannot have AI, which is artificial intelligence, without good architecture on the, on the other side, information architecture. And you also said that people will say sometimes that um, their, their system already knows how to do it. And you said, well, somebody set up those classifications. And I think that's really important. I, there is a level of, of, of abstraction that we can forget as users to realize that what is happening, the output of our machine is really only as good as the input we put in it. That's correct. That's correct. Now, <clears throat> to be fair, some of the algorithms can help with data quality, but they can't yes. solve all the problems. You still need reference data. You still need to tell it what your products are, what your services are, what your customers are, what your content types are, something about your organization, your solutions, your the problems you solve, you know, and all of those things become the, the standard terminology by which you can derive meaning and find patterns in all of your data. So you need to start with something. You have to tell it what your products are. I mean, we work with some large global manufacturers and they have hundreds of thousands of millions of products. Uh, the AI will not figure that out, will not figure out, you know, the needs of an engineer and what attributes to build into that product model. Once you have that, then you can apply some neat stuff, but you really have to have that foundational architecture and you have to do it in a way that is practical and cost-effective and sustainable. And that's where some other principles like metrics-driven governance comes into play. It's getting away from opinion and basing your decisions on data and scorecards. And you can, you can measure at multiple levels. I, I talk a lot about this in the book, uh, in, uh, in multiple places, but this whole idea of making data-driven decisions is so important to organizations these days, but many of them really don't have the data to start with, or they're successful with proof-of-concept projects or pilots, but they have trouble scaling those or deploying those, and there's a number of reasons for that. 
that, but part of it is not having, you know, production data in shape. So a lot of it starts with the data. A lot of the work we're doing these days is really the bread and butter of our organization is helping these large enterprises fix their foundational data because without it, they can't really do much else. And again, you know, there are some tools that can help, but there's a lot of human intervention. You, your, your AI is not magic, okay? <laughs> you have to teach it things. You have to tell it what to do. You have to explain what your problem is. You have to understand your problem. You have to know what process you're trying to optimize or to improve. And what I like to say is you can't automate a mess and you can't automate what you don't understand. So many times the AI is, is a very narrow intervention on a specific part of a process. And you have to understand that process. You have to understand how to measure the baselines. And you have to understand what your objectives are in improving that process. In Tom Davenport's book, uh, The AI Advantage, he talks about the fact that these giant, you know, grand galactic Uber, um, you know, moonshot projects are usually failures because they try to do too much. But when you have lots of interventions and lots of incremental improvements from deploying these AI tools, you can have a cumulative effect, which is a digital transformation. Because many of these processes have a lot of friction in them and they slow the organization down inexorably, but almost not noticeably, right? Until it gets so bad it's like the frog in the pot of water, right? You get used to it. You get used to it. You get used to it. And then something blows up or breaks, and then it's a crisis. But the fact is, there's a lot of things that people are doing today that can be done much more effectively, much more efficiently by removing the friction to their processes and having lots of incremental improvements. And again, one of the things you're trying to do is you're trying to speed up information flows. You're trying to speed up the information metabolism of the organization because all organizations do is take in information and put out information. That includes products and services, right? A product has less physical matter and more intelligence. I like to hold up my cell phone. I call it my magical device. And I say, this is made of sand, oil, and metal, all very cleverly arranged. It's information. A car built today has a lot more information than a car built 10 years ago, both in terms of composite materials, engineering approaches, software, computer chips, and so on. So matter is part of our production, but it's primarily information. And a, a product supply chain is an information supply chain. So you have all of this metadata and data and information flowing throughout the organization through this very complex ecosystem of systems and processes and applications. And whenever there's a bottleneck, whenever there's a manual process, whenever people can't find something, they have to recreate something, whenever they have to do a translation uh, by, by hand or some sneaker net or something that that should be automated, it slows that process down and it reduces the ability for the organization to be responsive and to be adaptable. And again, when enough of those things pile up, you end up with an organization that spends a lot of money just keeping the lights on because of all those brittle integrations, 
and all those manual processes, and they're unable to get to the next level because they have too much legacy and too much uh, legacy technology, and they have too much technical debt. You know, um, I've been listening and nodding my head quite a bit because I can, as you're talking, I can rattle in my brain a few companies that I know off the top of my head who have have legacy systems that are really keeping them from, from growing to where they need to be. But a, a few pieces that you mentioned that I think are really important to note, and one is you've got to get down back to the basics, the base data that you need in order to run the business. What is it that you need? Just like you said, it's information in and information out, whether that's a service or a product or, or, or whatever that looks like. Um, for your business or a com- you know, combination of both. But there, you, you said you have to get down to that base piece and then incremental walks. And the other piece that you mentioned is that, that there's no real silver, silver bullet to, to that because you've got to do it in a, because every business is a little bit different. So trying to buy a big AI which what we mean by that is an artificial intelligent um, software or process is going to help you automate in some capacity. Trying to buy a system that's going to be a one size fits all is not really going to work. So it's more of that process. So when you think about walking into a company, and maybe this is the time to talk a little bit about ontology and what that looks like. What are one of the what's one of the first steps you do when you when you onboard a new client? Sure. So there's always a a phase of getting the lay of the land, right? Understanding where they are and understanding. And really, many times it's getting everybody internally on the same page, right? Because people work in silos or departments. Maybe there's not enough cross-beam collaboration. Or maybe they are not aware of how their information outputs affect somebody else's inputs, Right. There may be problems with data upstream, but they don't see it. They're not aware of it. Yeah. The inconsistency. So one of the things a lot of times we'll do is we'll do working sessions that do simple things. Like sometimes if organizations want to get people to use consistent terminology, we'll do a taxonomy workshop. And that could be product taxonomy, it could be content taxonomy, it could be knowledge, it could be customer data, it could be whatever. But the point is that you're suddenly getting people in a room. We do these domain modeling workshops where you're bringing people from across departments and you're showing them the inconsistencies or you're asking them the questions about how they define things. And they're suddenly realizing they're not on the same page, right? They, they define things completely different than the group right next door. And just getting that awareness, just paying attention, it's the Hawthorne effect, right? When you look at a problem and you pay attention to a problem, you're going to make some changes. And one company we worked with said, just getting people together to understand all those terminology inconsistencies and architecture inconsistencies and labeling inconsistencies was huge because they saw that that cascaded through every system and process. So that's one way to do it. The other way is to kind of map the customer journey and then start identifying the different tools that support each stage. You know, this is also in the book, by the way, but the point is that the journey consists of a lot of different things. It's the entire life cycle, right? From learning about a product or services 
to making the selection, to getting it, paying for it, servicing it, and then hopefully evangelizing and recommending it. Well, that is used to be multiple departments. Now it's kind of marketing technology, right? Or sales technology. But there's still supporting departments and processes that are responsible for those individual pieces. What ends up happening is different departments will buy tools to solve different aspects of the same problem. Mm-hmm. These huge, complex marketing technology or e-commerce technology or customer experience technology stacks where you're deploying some very well and you're deploying some not so well. And maybe you have redundancy and overlap, or maybe you have brittle integrations, or maybe you don't have communication or handoff. And what you can do is if you put everything in the context, like I see these you know, pretty pictures of marketing technology stacks, right? There's the stacky awards and all this. And the question is, what does that do for you? How does it make you, how, how does it help you make a decision? A pretty picture doesn't necessarily make a decision. But if you do it in the terms of the customer journey, and then you say, what are the most important technologies to that step in the journey? A technology could serve multiple steps, but it may be more important than one in the other. So search engine optimization, really important in the discovery phase, right? When you're trying to find out about something. Not so important in, you know, the support phase, perhaps. Um, but, you know, uh, <clears throat> search technology is very important for making selections and purchasing. Maybe not when you're actually, <clears throat> you know, maybe, maybe not when you're actually evangelizing and building community. So the point here is you list those technologies according to the importance in the customer stage and then how well you're doing with them. And, and you end up with these very simple charts that take all the noise out because you're looking for the things that are super important that are being deployed poorly. And that's where you start. You start looking at those gaps. What's important that we're doing poorly? And then you can eliminate hundreds of applications because they're not that important. You know, you're doing an okay job, fine. If you're doing a good job, great. But when you're doing a bad job or not, you know, or it's not optimally deployed for whatever reason, could be process, could be architecture, could be data. <clears throat> That's where you have to focus. This is critical in this stage and we're not doing a good job. That's part of the assessment that we go through putting everything. We also build what are called high fidelity journeys. I won't get into that. That's in the book, but that allows you to really orchestrate your product data, your content, your knowledge assets and the customer journey and customer experience because all of those things need to be worked. Yeah, and I like that you also mentioned that there may be you know, some bit of that siloed approach where people yeah. in one department buy a software and then in another department, department buy something similar. And I think it's also a good value to say that it's okay that if you bought something and it doesn't work, that it's okay to not use it. You don't feel like you have to just use that one technology forever. I think that's important because, you know, I know many people that will buy it and they bought it and that's the only one they're going to use. But um, I want to dive in a bit more into your book and talk of uh, some of the case studies that you have done. I I just find this so intriguing. And uh, we're going to do that right after we come back from a break. So stay with us for um, after the, for a few minutes after the break and um, We will be back with Seth Early to talk a little bit about his book, uh, The Power of Artificial Intelligence, and how these case studies have continued to drive his, his business. We'll be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dot consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back to Coding the Future. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, and we're back with Seth Early, who is an expert in artificial intelligence, data, and figuring out how do we make our companies run more efficiently once we really understand that informational architecture that makes our companies run. And we've been having a really intriguing conversation about the power of understanding your systems, the power of bringing multiple departments together to have a conversation about what are their processes and how they are executing their uh, processes and content and, and the general flow of the business. So, Seth, you have this amazing book, and I have had the privilege of, of being able to read it. How did this book come to be, and what is your hope for those that read the book and how it will change the way they think about data? So, you know, I've been wanting to write a book for some time. I uh, was co-author of a book on knowledge management uh, about 20 years ago, and it was actually about the Lotus Discovery Server, which was that IBM tool that was their first foray into uh, machine learning that became you know, eventually through multiple iterations, went into, went into um, uh, Watson. And, and so <clears throat> I've always wanted to take the methodologies and the practical lessons learned and the techniques and really be able to present them to a business audience that needs to be savvy about these things. It also tries to hit a technical audience that needs to develop these things. But it's really talking about the business needs, the business processes, the foundational data. You know, I don't think it's technical. Some people think it's technical. You know, you talk to people and say, oh, it's over my head. Okay, that's fine. Maybe you're not familiar with some of these things. And I talk to other <clears throat> tech folks. They go, well, you kind of talked about 
AI, but you really didn't get into the weeds. Well, that wasn't the intention, right? There's a lot of books about, <clears throat> you know, deep neural networks and n-dimensional free space vectors. I just like to say that word or that phrase. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff at the 30,000 foot level that talks about, you know, AI saving humanity or being the end of humanity, right? But there's very little that's in between that says, how do you very practically evaluate this stuff? And what do you need to have in place to make it work? And, you know, Tom Davenport uh, wrote my forward, as I mentioned. And one of the things he said is he's written two books on AI and he's read many more. And he said he did not know of any other books that had such useful and detailed valuable advice and the relationship of data. He specifically said conversational AI systems, but I think it applies to all AI systems. And, and that was a great <clears throat> compliment. And I've had other people say the same thing, that this is a recipe for success. Now, uh, launching a book during COVID is probably not a recommended uh, time, timing uh, issue. I could have uh, planned that better maybe, but I don't think we could have planned a global pandemic. So, so obviously, I didn't get a chance to see it in stores. It was in Barnes and & Noble and all that. But, but we're getting very good traction. We're getting very good reviews. We're, it's making it into these lists, these you know, top reading lists and required reading lists and so on. And everybody who's read it has really taken a tremendous amount from it because it really does tell you how to do stuff, right? It really is very, very so that was the goal. The goal was to be able to take our 25 years of experience and distill it into something that people could go off and do something with. And we found, I've heard that people say they refer to it constantly in their projects. Like they go through it, but then they come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. So it is a little bit like a textbook in places, but it does have a lot of use cases. And again, it was trying to hit that sweet spot between, you know, not too basic business, but not too technical detail and to be very practical at the same time. Um, I co-authored, I wrote it um, and, and had a development editor by the name of uh, Josh Burnoff, who was tremendous and Maggie Langrick was tremendous. And they really helped me stretch my way of communicating and to tell more stories. And so it can be a little dry in places, a little deep in places, but it's really solid information and it's based on case studies and successes and companies really doing these things effectively. So, you know, Peter, uh, <clears throat> Peter Johnson, <clears throat> who is a MetLife fellow and uh, SVP and heads up a lot of their AI initiatives, he said he's been in AI for 37 years and he said, you know, the statistical approaches, the data based, the data centric approaches alone won't work. You need this approach. You need this type of an architecture approach. And he said, this book is a recipe for success instead of failure and disappointment. And again, that's, that's a great honor. So I really just want to get the word out for people to leverage it and to people to get value from it and to help organizations, you know, make the right decisions and for executives to not make career limiting decisions, Right. We want career-enhancing decisions. And this really gives you the building blocks. This really gives you the things to look out for and the things that need to happen and avoid, you know, the vendor speak, avoid the unrealistic expectations, and be realistic about what it takes for investment. 
and measure that investment. We have a whole metrics-driven governance process that allows you to measure everything from the data side to the process up to the business outcome and then align that with organizational strategy. So again, as I mentioned, that takes the guesswork out. It takes the opinion out and it bases things on hard data and ensures that you're getting the return on investment of these things. One of the big problems with data is that organizations have not approached data remediation in a very effective way. Sometimes they try to boil the ocean. Sometimes they're not focused on processes. Sometimes they don't have ownership. Uh, But you really have to be very, very laser focused on what data do you need and asking your, your executives, if you could have a better answer, what would it be worth to you? That's the question you have to ask. You can't just say, I need money for data. You have to say the data is going to support this process. This process is going to have support this outcome. This outcome is important to you. But if we are missing this data, we're going to have a problem getting to these outcomes. And what would it be worth to have greater accuracy? Sometimes it's not worth it. So you really have to triage and you really have to prioritize. Well, you know, there's so many, again, so many great nuggets that you're, that you're stating. And I will agree when I was reading the book, it was an, uh, a read in which I could see the applicability of it and the action items. And I'm going to go back to what you have reiterated several different times. And that is really understanding the format of your business what your core purpose is, what the data is going to be used for, and go back to the simplicity. So often we go off in these very deep and uh, rabbit hole kind of journeys and try to make things more complex than they really need to be. And that's one of the things that I also liked about the case studies in the book and the ability of, of you bringing it back by saying, you know, and I often say this, you know, the, the business problem is still there, right? The business problem is the business problem or is the, is the core of the, and the technology is there to help That's that right. problem be successful. So you have to understand that core piece before you can even put technology in to solve the problem. So I am agree that the action-based items in this sometimes is the hard work sitting down and having multiple meetings, having multiple strategy sessions to say, this is what we want to do. Now we find the technology that's going to help us get there. Right. Right. And the sexy, the, the, the necessary parts are not sexy. Yeah. Who wants to put their name on governance? You know, executive will say, yeah, I'll underwrite this AI project. That's going to give us all this wonderful capability data. Eh, let, let IT handle that. Let the business handle that. But what's funny is you really need this, <clears throat> this strong collaboration because the business can't fix their data by themselves. And IT can't fix business data by itself. Right. So the right. example I like to use is let's imagine you're deploying a customer relationship management system like pick Salesforce. And your salespeople don't enter the customer information, they don't enter the industry, they don't enter titles, and the data is a mess. They don't update their uh, activities, they don't update their opportunities, and it becomes a huge mess, right? You can't make sense of it, and you have no predictability, and you have 
you know, pipelines that are nonsense and all this. That's a data problem. But you could never go to the IT organization and say, fix this data because they don't own the process, right? Now, IT can help you uh, get started and, and direct you and guide you and provide support, but it's up to the business. They have why they have to be responsible for their data. So I think you're going to see more and more data ownership at the business level. And that's why tools and processes need to really be understandable. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. And again, I'm going to mention this because it happens so often. I see it quite a bit in, in my own work in education, the siloed approach where people are working in their own areas. And, and listen, we, we need experts in particular. You, that, yes. That's cool. I think you, you want to be an expert in, you know, whatever it is that you, you choose to be an expert yeah. in, but it's really important. Most specialization. Right, the specialization, but not to forget the collaborate collaboration piece and keeping abreast of the knowledge that's going on in the business in other departments. Exactly. Because data is like I just I love your scenario of the you know the output is only as good as the input, and that's really important. Well, Seth, tell our listeners where they can find uh, more information about sure. you and more information about the book. Sure. So our website is www.early, that's E-A-R-L-E-Y. Do not forget the E before the Y. I should have bought that early, the other domain. (laughs) E-A-R-L-E-Y.com. And my email address is Seth at early.com. So just my first name at lastname.com. You can get the book on Amazon. And I'll tell you, if the first... 20 people who listen to this um, show write me and would agree to um, take a look at the book and maybe put a, uh, a, uh, a review on Amazon, I will be happy to send them a signed copy of the book. And they can write to uh, carolyn.southwick. Um, I think you can spell it C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, Carolyn. Uh, dot Southwick, S-O-U-T-H-W-I-C-K, at early.com. Uh, you can copy me if you like, but um, we'll get you a copy of the book. Just send a mailing address and tell us um, you're interested, then uh, we'll go from there. But happy to get more copies in people's hands. Uh, don't want to discourage people from buying them, but, you know, I, I do want you guys to, to have a chance to have a look. That's really fantastic, and I thank you for that offer. So he's the action item for today is for you to email Seth, and I will put that information in the uh, notes of the show as well, and the email to Carolyn so that the first 20 people that send him a note, and he will send out a book to you. And I do highly recommend it. I think it'll be a great way for you to go through and start thinking through that process of the data piece, the structure, understanding that at the core, you gotta have a, a handle on the information and data before you add that tech piece. Seth, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. And I am really excited about our conversation. I've learned a lot and I'm going to, I haven't quite finished the entire book yet. So I'm going to go be diving into that this weekend. And thank you again. And remember, action item for today is to email Seth, check out his website and get a copy of the book. Thank you again. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Coding the Future. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'll come back anytime.
Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the .consulting.co. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. So I want to thank everyone for joining us for that great conversation with Seth Early. And I want to hop back in because... I wanted, I went back and listened to this recording. Of course, we pre recorded this episode, and there were just so many good nuggets to have a conversation about and to just highlight again about Seth's expertise in understanding and driving home the importance of understanding your data. Data is so scary for so many people, and sometimes we get overwhelmed by information, and it's really important for us to step back, take a look at the information that's coming into our business, coming into our classrooms, even into our personal lives, and how is that data implementing what we do and how we do what we do. And the other piece that I thought was really powerful is thinking about how technology can help us solve some of these data problems. We don't have to calculate everything by hand anymore. There's a great There is great technology that is being discovered and used and implemented around artificial intelligence and machine learning, web development, understanding data systems and how they can use it to make decisions. So, you know, I did a show about streamlining your tech success a couple of weeks ago, and I just want to go back and iterate that piece again. You know, Seth mentions this about really being able to understand the information that's coming into your business and how that information is being used. I've now said that twice here in just this follow-up conversation. It's so important. And the first step is really being able to tech streamline that information so that you know where it's coming from. Are you a Google shop? Are you a Microsoft shop? And how are you using the technological software and applications to help you do your business better? You know, I have a friend... Bernadette, who has 
really exploded over the past few years in finding her niche and helping those solve their financial woes and becoming financially empowered. And one of the things that she mentioned that I thought was really important that goes along the lines of the streamline is knowing how to use your tech and use your time appropriately. So make more money and have more time. You know, I thought that was it's really powerful, of course. And that always feeds back to me in understanding the technological applications you're using to help manage your time because we're on our computers so much now, it's really important to think about how we're using that. So I encourage you to go back and read Seth's book and and reach out to him because he will send you a copy and signed and use the scenarios to help you grow your business, grow your classroom, grow your community. I think those pieces are so important. We need the triangle to come together of community and education and business and families to be able to flourish as we continue to navigate what is the pandemic. And I also want to take this moment to give a quick shout out to my team who has supported me and helping us find our tech streamline and going through different policies and processes as we have grown as a company at The Dot and Dottie Rose. And to my operational manager, Heather Gilbert, who has absolutely 100% given us a streamline in how we are to implement our technology. And to my executive director, Jillian Kleenberg at the Dottie Rose Foundation for finding the right software to help us grow our donations and our financial well-being in the nonprofit So let me talk just a minute about that. If you're looking for opportunities to grow in your business, to streamline, to support your children and how they begin to find their space in tech, please reach out to us at the.consulting.co. That's the business that we work with you to find your tech streamline, to help you find your tech genius. We work with K-12 entities to integrate computer science and technology into curriculum and do so by really creating that power of our teachers, letting them find their own tech genius and then bringing the tech to marry with it. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we've got a wonderful lineup over the upcoming weeks of spring and summer. Find out more at the DottieRoseFoundation.org. We really empower girls to find their voice and their place in technology. Not to say they'll be computer scientists, but if they are, that would be totally exciting for this one tech nerd. But What I want them to find is their power and their voice in how they're going to use technology to drive their career. And also, we would love to have you as a guest on our show here at Coding the Future. Our mission is to show that there is tech in everything and that you can code your own future by finding your own tech genius and driving that genius and adding the technology to make your career what you want it to be. You know, we define what we want. We define how we want to live our lives. We define what is our financial freedom. For me, that's helping to to grow in my own tech skill, to grow in my business savvy, to grow as an educator. Those pieces are so important to me. So if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out to us at the Coding the Future. Let me say that a little better. You can find us on the Voice America Network at Coding the Future. If you're listening now, you can send us an email through that homepage of, of our website. 
you can send us a message through that the homepage of our website or download us on any of the apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. We're on all of those coding the future. Or you can always send an email to heather at the dot consulting dot co. Thank you so much for being with us. I wanted to hop back in because I thought what Seth had to say was so empowering, especially as we continue to navigate the pandemic. Remember, understanding your data is so important and you don't have to, you don't have to do it all. Pick one metric to, to evaluate. That's my action item for you today. Pick one metric. Follow that and see how that begins to change your perspective on how you're driving information in your business, in your classroom, or in your community. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for joining us in this Coding the Future episode. Don't forget to follow us on Coding the Future on Voice of America. Follow the Voice America apps. Reach out to us if you have a question or you'd like to be a guest. We'd love to host you on the show. And if you're interested in learning more about how to work and empower your young, young people with education and technology, follow us at DottieRoseFoundation.org. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Coding the Future. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then. 